Well, good morning. Uh, this is our sixth week in this series, uh, Disciple Like Jesus, um, where we've kind of drawn out of the, that resource, a, a book called Disciple Like Jesus, um, thinking about what it means to be a disciple, how you follow Jesus and being a disciple. And so this week we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And uh, some, some of you may be very familiar too, but it, it is the end of of Matthew's gospel after the resurrection. And it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Let us pray. Lord, as we think about this passage, often called the Great Commission, may you be at work among us. May all that is said be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've talked about what, what the definition of discipleship is, what it looks like, some practical things that kind of bubble up when you're, when you're following and becoming. It's more about, as we said, transformation than information and what will happen. And we talked about in last week the idea um, was blessing the world you know, through our spiritual gifts, the way God, God gifts us. And sometimes it's things that come natural to us and comfortable to us to step out and use what. And sometimes it, it may not be things that are so natural to us, but God will, will, will give, you, give you and equip you and prompt you and, and give you the ability to step in and, and serve in certain ways and to serving and blessing the world. Where this week, and the shift we make, and, and when we talk about the next step in discipleship, that if we're really going to follow Jesus as a disciple, which means to do what, what Jesus did, to become more like Jesus, that's the whole idea of discipleship, then there is a point where we play an integral part in making more disciples. I mean, that's what Jesus did. Jesus made disciples and invites us, if we're going to follow him and be the body of Christ, we're going to need to make disciples of other people. Um, that's, how it, that's how it continues. And so when you start talk, talking about being part of making disciples, and we know that, we call that the Great Commission. You know, go ye therefore in all the world, making disciples of all nations. And it's real simple, but there is so much in that. And one of the main things this morning that I just want us to think about, and it's one of the things that makes it uncomfortable. I mean, let's just be honest. It's, it's one of the things that when you say, go make disciples, um, it's a little uncomfortable sometimes. I mean, that, that's the piece that they don't really teach you in seminary about, you know, doing that. Because if you read here, he says, go make disciples. Get them to, to, to do all that I've commanded you. But, but Jesus doesn't really tell them how. I mean, he doesn't give the magic formula. Oh, and here's how you're going to do it. I want you to do A, B, C, and here's it. And here's He doesn't tell them how. And so that's kind of, if you, if you look back, the history of, of the church, the body of Christ, that's kind of our struggle 
But it's also kind of a point of, of real beauty at the same time. Because we weren't really given a how. We just follow Jesus, and that is what we've got to be part of doing. That's kind of part of the target, part of the next step. And throughout the history of the body of Christ, going back to 2530 A.D. when this happened, when they when they're see Jesus after the resurrection, we've been kind of struggling with trying to figure out how to, how to do it, how to make disciples ever since. And the reality is, it's messy. There's no one perfect one way. There are things in certain seasons of the church, in the history of the church, or the life of a disciple, or culture that we're in, that, that work, that sometimes then stop working. You know, sometimes we get so adamant about our method of making disciples, it can cause so much friction when, when the method maybe doesn't work as well. Someone has a new method. We will fight over methods um, when the goal is still the same to make disciples, but we will get arguments and fight over it. You can see that throughout church history. There's times the church has gotten it so wrong. We have made a mess. You know, I, I say often, you take a group of people, put them together doing anything, we can, we can kind of mess up anything. It's a broken world. We're broken people. And throughout, throughout our, our history as, as the body of Christ, we've made messes. We've gotten it right. There's also times we've gotten it, we've gotten it wrong. But I just, to, to make it practical for today, one of the things in, in our life as the body of Christ here in the last, say, hundred years, we've, we've become, especially in North American Christianity, we have come fairly reliant in the last 100, 150 years or so, come reliant on the institution of the church to be what makes disciples. You know, programs of the church. You know, we got a good children's ministry, a good Sunday school program, a good class system that people go through, or this event, or this is an outreach event for the church. The church, and we participate in the life of the institutional church, and the church as an institution kind of does the discipling through programs. And, and don't get me wrong, that has worked. That worked. Sometimes better than others. The reason we've come to rely on that is because, you know, that worked. Because we, we've been in a dominant Christian environment, Christian culture, for, you know, a couple hundred years in North America, in the United States especially, especially in the South. I, I grew up in the South where you know, it's Christian culture to where kind of growing up into it, being part of the programs of the church, it, it worked. I mean, I'm a product of that. I went to church growing up my, my whole life. Went to Sunday school, went, went to worship, went as part of youth ministry, other stuff. You know, about 10 or so, I, I, I became uh, a full member of the church, went through confirmation. I was baptized as an infant and grew up in it. And we've relied on that, and it's not bad. And, and there again, when I was confirmed at, at age 10 or 11, I don't remember, it didn't mean a whole lot to me. It meant I'm now a full member, and I learned about what it meant, more relying on the information. It didn't really connect to me into what it was. It's about transformation until I was about 20. And, you know, my life 
things happening and it, me realizing, hey, when I'm in charge of my own life, it, I can make a mess. And just being more open and open to what God wanted to do. And I began, had a, you call it conversion experience. John Wesley calls it heart strangely warmed. Just a moment of God becomes so real to me. And then I realized it's, it's about what God wants to do in my life and change in me and grow in me. But, but all of those programs of the church, all of the things I experienced growing up, they are part of the story. That's a provenient grace of God. But we don't want to throw all that out. But the, the, the issue is it doesn't work as well as it used to. I mean, people have been scholars, theologians, sociologists, you know, been writing about that kind of stuff, exploring that idea, you know, for probably longer, but at least the last 50 years or so. <clears throat> and we hear it talked about, you know, where it's, it was put in terms of a postmodern, post-Christian culture, you know, the new Christendom. I remember that book came out. We're talking, because the idea of, well, just participate in the life of the church as you grow up, the programs of the church, being part of the discipleship. It doesn't work when you've got fewer and fewer and fewer people with a Christian memory. You know, growing up in Christian families, growing up as part of the, the life of the church, understanding, you know, the, hey, this is what Christians do, this is what this program of the church is about, and it, it becomes foreign and it, and it works less. And you get fewer people with that Christian memory. And that's what's happened. And so discipleship has to take on different forms and different ways. But the, the truth is, even in all those programs, even in the things that we began to rely on as a church kind of doing or, you know, uh, somebody who's an expert coming up with a, a program or a material or a study or something, that where the rubber met the road, where the real life change happened was always and has always been relational. Someone that, that connected with or someone that you saw or someone even, even in a book or a program or that you saw live out the Christian life and what that looks like. And the first place that always happens is our home, is our family of origin. I mean, discipleship always happens in a family of origin. Uh, the question is, what are you being discipled into? You can be discipled into a life of Jesus. You can be discipled into a life of all kinds of things. You can be discipled into a life of greedy selfishness. Um, that's what you're becoming. But, but discipleship begins in the home. And I, I remember that growing up, seeing that in my own family, my parents living out faith, seeing that in my grandparents and people. And the truth is, in our family of origin, we see things, we, we grow in things that are wonderful, things we want to, want to do and want to live out in our own lives. And all, all of us at times see things and, hey, I don't want to do that. I'm going to be different than that. There's all kinds of ways that discipleship happens, but learning and becoming something, growing in something, always starts with the family. And when the prevenient grace of the church, we call that, and, and the church programs being part of the family life, that it just happens. It's when we talk about the body of Christ, the church, as a family. But the thing is, we're, we're in a culture now that, call it post-Christian, call it whatever, that there's just less of a Christian memory. So discipleship and, and how, what we do as, a, as the body of Christ is, is, is shifting. 
Relationship is the key. So I want us to think about that, but I want us, you know, when you think about that, even in me saying that, um, hey, you're going to be part of making disciples of other people, and it's going to be relational. That kind of creeps us out, makes us uncomfortable. You know, we, we don't quite feel qualified for it. And, you know, part of making a disciple is, is that beginning the relationship, inviting new people. And we, we often refer to that uh, in Christian circles and in the church as evangelism. Um, now, this is not a sermon on evangelism, but that's part of the process, inviting new people in. Once you do that as an example, when you say evangelism, people get uncomfortable. You know, to be honest, I can get uncomfortable. When we think about evangelism as it's you know, going out, and going to a group of people we've never met, and telling them about Jesus, and, and hopefully leading them to Christ, and, and that is a, a style of evangelism that's key. And, but there's a very small percentage of Christians that get excited about doing that, that feel called and gifted and able to do that. But I want to I want to tell you one of the things for me that I that was eye opening years ago when I, I I realized and it was a study on faith sharing that evangelism when you see that word in scripture and you really unpack what the word evangelism means and there again I'm not going to preach it right now but just to let you know evangelism is not what you do to people. It's not about, well, I'm going to go do this to somebody and I'm going to evangelize them and I'm going to, they're going to become a follower. They're going to respond this way. Evangelism isn't what you do to people. It's not what the word means. It is what you do with the gospel. It is what you do with the good news of Jesus. It is how you live it. It is how you operate in it. It is what you offer. Whatever the response is from the other person, that's, that's not up to you. It's up to God anyway. But it's, it's how you... You live it. I, I remember teaching a faith-sharing uh, kind of study one time, and at the end we were going to go do some servant evangelism, which is very non-intrusive kind of evangelism of, of just reaching out to other people where you just go do something for them or give something nice away. You, you, I've done where you, you know, go to a gas station, hang out there on a Saturday, and offer to wash people's windows for them and just say, it's because God loves you. No strings attached and, you know, just want to, you know, that God loves you, you know, go find a church or, or go ask somebody if you have anything with me. You just let them know. No strings attached. God loves you and wash their windows. Or go give out, you know, given out toilet paper before people everybody needs toilet paper who doesn't need that you know especially you know early part of covid if you had that that could be great servant evangelism but we were going to do this evangelist servant evangelism process project of giving out water to people like running in the park and there was a lady you know, an older lady there that hadn't done anything like that before and i remember she was so adamant and excited about doing it but she was so nervous because really the bottom line of the nerves were what about when they reject you? What if they don't want your water? What if you say, I just want to give you this water because God loves you, and they think you're weird and they don't want it? And I remember when we were doing that project, when she had her first rejection, somebody said, no, I don't want the water. She was like, wow, that wasn't so bad. And realized that there were more people that were open to taking the water and saying, that's a wonderful thing, thank you, and, and maybe even entering into a brief conversation about faith there was more people that were positive in accepting that 
been really negative and rejected you, but she discovered the rejection wasn't that bad because, see, it's not what their response is. It's just what you do with the gospel. And it doesn't mean you've got to go give, give things away to people you don't know. It's part of just how you live your life. That's part of why you want to be growing as a disciple. Because really, where the real testimony, where the real evangelism or what you do with the gospel happens is when God's working in your life and you're growing as a follower of Christ. And I, I guarantee you, when there's those moments that, it, that you know, something clicks, and I've seen that in the life of other people in my own life, where it's something, oh, and it may be something I've, oh, gosh, I should have known that, but the Holy Spirit just gently corrects in your life, and you kind of live into it, and you realize, that, wow, this is really true. Life is better if you do this, if, you're, if you follow that way. People will notice. When they say, we have what is, what's happened to you? There's an opportunity to say, you know, God is still at work in the world. Let me tell you what God did last week. And, uh, you know, I was clueless. And here's what, that's, that's your witness. That's part of the, how you connect. That, that is evangelism. That's what you do with the gospel, living it out. How you live it. How you, how you share what, what, what you know of God. I mean, it's simple. It was the same thing with discipleship. When you talk about relationships of discipleship. Now, next week, we're going to talk more nuts and bolts of possible ways that you can do it. But as I've said before, the possibilities are endless. There's, the church has been trying to figure out how to do it throughout history. And as I've said, we've gotten it wrong. I mean, there was a, there was a time when you know, stained glass windows were the perfect discipleship to teach the gospel to people who couldn't read. Maybe not as important today. It doesn't mean I don't like stained glass windows, but that was, that was partly why we did what we did there. there. There's things that we have done throughout history, and, and sometimes they keep working, sometimes they don't. It's, don't. Don't be focused on the method, but it is always relationship. And I remember I, I have heard, and I heard it read and said in this study, and I've heard for years, and well, he said, you know, there needs to be someone that's discipling me. You know, I need to have somebody that's discipling me, and I need to be discipling someone else or a group of other people. You know, that's what a Christian does. You're being discipled, and you're discipling someone else. And, and, and that's true. But I'll just tell you, my experience is it doesn't really work that simply. It's not that smooth. As I said before, it's messy. People are messy. Relationships are messy. And I have n never had it not be that I've learned things and even taught things and shared things, and it's been a mutual relationship every time. Even in those relationships that the other person, you know, was Christian, been a Christian a lot more longer than me, and would, would, would look like on the surface, they're the person discipling me, and they really are. You know, they've got a mature, more mature faith in me, and I'm learning. There are still moments but the beauty in the relationship is when they share, man, here's how God's correcting me. They're honest about their own vulnerability. And there's been times in all of those that there's been moments that God has maybe prompted something or I've seen something that, that they needed to hear and learn from. It has always been kind of a mutual relationship where you know, we're just messy people, Christians, trying to follow Jesus. And how do we help each other do that? And even those relationships that would technically be, I am the, you know, 
more mature Christian discipling someone else. It's still, it's a mutual relationship. I, I, I learn things from other people that are, that are new Christians. I remember discipling one guy that you know, just, we were in a relationship of accountability, just connecting. And he was a new Christian and been very far from God and didn't grow up as a Christian and had been living in his van and got to know him. And he, he, he just got excited about God and we started meeting. He had some questions and some ideas and some ways he things, saw things in Scripture that were eye-opening for me, that were important for me, transformational for me. I learned as much from him as he did from me. It is always relationships that are mutual, mutual respect. As I've said before, everybody has things that they need and everybody has things they can offer. And you go into it like that, don't it, just let it be a relationship where you, you're just trying to, trying to follow Jesus together. Because that's one of the things that makes us uncomfortable when we hear you're, you're to be part of discipling people and making disciples to transform the world. You know, bottom line, part of what makes us uncomfortable about that and makes us want to rely on programs of the church to do it for us is we don't feel qualified. Well, let me just tell you, and maybe, maybe I'm just an idiot, but I've got two theological degrees. I've got a doctorate of ministry, and I have been doing ministry for 25 years. Let me tell you the truth. I don't feel qualified either. We don't feel qualified. I remember early on pastoring first church, and my wife and I moved to Atlanta. I was going to start working on my master's and seminary degree and that summer, and we moved to Atlanta. I was going to pastor a church in Lawrenceville, kind of north of Atlanta, and we came at I-20 and saw Atlanta. We were excited, you know, starting our new married life together and ministry together, but then it didn't take long. And I remember looking at Atlanta and thinking, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? Who in the world do I think I am? I can't pastor people. I can't. I am clueless. I just need to run back to Mississippi. Well, the truth is, I still kind of feel that way. That we feel unqualified. But it's not that we are so perfectly qualified. It is just to be on a relationship with God and, and do that with other people. That is really what discipleship is. It's just intentional about about your life changing. And, and we're messy. People are messy. Our lives get busy. Uh, it's one of the things I know about me. I get so passionate about discipleship and, and excited about looking. And I've said it in this study a couple times, in this series, you know, when a group of people get committed on holding each other accountable to doing what God wants them to do, that's when amazing things happen and, and kind of encouraging people to do that. But if you do that too much, which sometimes I can, you begin to make people feel like, well, he just doesn't like us. He thinks we're a failure. You just come across as a judgmental jerk that you're, you're not doing amazing things and you better do it better. And God, the truth is, you just see the possibilities. But we're all messy. Life gets in the way. Life gets busy. That's not anything new to us. That's been going on throughout history. It went on for the disciples. It went on for, we get busy, we mess up, we fail to meet appointments. We step out and we, we're going to enter into this accountability relationship. We do it pretty good and then, then we have to you know, cancel 
cancel meetings and aren't able to do it as well or we don't do our readings or we say, that doesn't mean you're a failure as a disciple or if you're trying to disciple somebody else it doesn't mean you're a failure as a disciple or that whoever's discipling you is a failure it just means we're messy we're that's why we need jesus that's why we're given the gift of of, of repentance and and you just step into it and ask for god's grace and yeah sometimes it's difficult to even find the time to pray during the day when we get a, those moments and seasons in our life when you can just make a little step or do something little that's good but that's where the kingdom happens and the world changes when we're when we're moving forward just don't miss that you're invited to be a part of but if you feel unqualified and like, I just don't measure up and I don't have it, good. I'm a little worried about people that feel like they're perfectly qualified to disciple everyone. No, you're not. You're not Jesus and neither am I. And that's the thing. That's one of the beautiful things about this passage of Scripture. A couple of things I just want you to remember about this passage. It, it says here, what we read, we need to remember, it takes place, this is after the resurrection, and they're gathered, and they go up on a mountain. Now, that may not seem that important, but all through Matthew's Gospels, a lot of important things happen on mountains. Some of the temptations of Jesus happen on a mountain. The Sermon on the Mount happens on a mountain. The Transfiguration happens on a mountain. There's, all, there's multiple times things happen on mountains. And in Matthew's Gospel, mountains, that, those are the places that there's something you don't know. And sometimes God teaches you or you get tested on or you, you're figuring out something new. There, it, 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 it is a place of learning and growth with God. And the reason that's so important in Matthew's Gospel is in the Old Testament. You can read over and over on mountains. That's where God calls Moses or some of the prophets or some Elijah. And that's also where God meets with them to remind them of what, what's going on. It is also where they meet with God and it becomes a relationship of mutual respect, of, of, of both moving forward, God and you know, Moses or Elijah. It is, it's a place where just learning and growth happens. So it's on a mountain. You know what that means? They weren't done. They didn't have it all together. And in case you miss that, it says right there at the beginning, Jesus shows up and is with them, and some of them worship. We talked about what that meant a few weeks ago. You know, just some of them surrender, and they, they surrender to God, and they, they, they're worshiping. And it says, and some of them doubt it. And who are these people? They're the 11. You know, Judas is no longer with them. It says, these are the inner circle people, and some of them still doubt and the beautiful thing is God doesn't separate the doubters. He doesn't say, now, you doubter people, go over there. You're not fit for this. He gives the great commission to all of them. Because the truth is, there's moments that we are all can be wonderful worshipers. And there's moments that we're doubters. Now, I said before, doubt and faith go hand in hand. The opposite of faith is certainty. Faith is really stepping out and trusting God sometimes when it doesn't make sense. And when there is some doubt, there's no doubt. I don't know if there's even room for faith. 
And sometimes we can doubt what we knew, doubt something about God, and we just got to step out and trust. And, and so often we can doubt ourselves. And I think that may be part of the doubting here. They, they're still doubting. I mean, is this movement even going to go anywhere? Is this really the kingdom of God? We still hope this guy's the Messiah. I mean, he raised from the dead, and I don't even feel qualified. Why did he call me? We'll doubt ourselves. And in the response to that, Jesus says, and here's the commission. He still gives us the invitation to be part of changing the world. And we have been. Understand, 25 AD, there, there's a handful of people in a little town in, in Galilee that they're the only people that knew who Jesus was. By 50 AD, they're having riots in Rome over him. By 63 AD, the emperor is, is aware and even persecuting and struggling. And you see that just multiply till a few hundred years, and most everybody's Christian because they just didn't know how to stamp it out. They couldn't every time they tried. And it was messy and broken in places, but God it still works. And I've said, here we are, 2,000 years later, on the other side of the planet, worshiping Jesus because God is faithful. The witness has continued, and discipleship has happened. And just realize you're in part of that. You don't have to have it all together. They didn't. Some of them still doubt it. God still gives them the Great Commission. To where the main thing I want you to remember you hear that statement often, you know, begin with the end in mind. Well, that's what I want you to do here. I want you to begin with the end in mind. And the end I am talking about is the end of Matthew's gospel. The last thing that is said is what you just cling to and know. They needed to hear it. We need to hear it. We need to know it. it we can't do it without it. We're not qualified. We are messy. And in the response of all the, their doubt and their uncertainty and the commission that was going to be messy and he didn't tell them how to do it, you know what he did say? I will be with you. Always. The good, the bad. There's some moments in my life, some moments even in my Christian life, some moments in my life as a pastor that I really wish Jesus might not have been with me. I mean, he saw me make some messes. But ultimately, I'm grateful. Because even in the mess that he was with me in, he brought me through it, learned his grace and forgiveness, and you need to know he is still with us. Don't be scared to be part of making disciples and entering into relationship and sharing faithful people. Just, we don't know how to do it, but we worship one who does. And he is with us always to the end of the age. That's what makes it truth, makes it happen. Let us pray. Lord, we praise you and thank you. I thank you that you give us such a, a beautiful task that is scary. It is challenging. You give it to flawed people who are messy and fail along the way because, you know, that's the story of how you work. 
you told the nation of Israel multiple times in, in the book of Deuteronomy as they're going to the promised land. Remember, I didn't pick you because you're strong. I picked you because you're weak. It is the fact that we don't feel qualified and we're not sure how to do it and what to do next that gives room for you to work because you are the one that is with us. May we be open to your presence, to your leading, to your prompting, and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.